This episode is made possible by our friends at Bold, Shopify's largest app developer. They have some amazing apps that do cool stuff on your Shopify store, like allow you to sell subscriptions, memberships with exclusive site access, upsell offers, wholesale pricing, daily deals, loyalty points, product bundles, and so much more. And good news, they have an offer for our listeners to get any of their apps free for two months by going to ecommerce-bootcamp.com bold. Hey, welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. It's me, Kurt. I'm back. And, you know, not long ago, I was at um, Shopify, Shopify Unite, the Shopify um, partner conference. And I was talking to Jay Myers from Bold Apps and realized, like, his story is so much more interesting um, than just, like, you know, we are a successful app developer. And arguably, they're probably the most successful app developer um, on Shopify. But his story's kind of cool. And, you know, I wanted to get him to come on the show and share that with you. Um, He's also been really what's enabled and empowered us to, you know, publish this show weekly for as long as we have um, because he's been a very generous sponsor to us. Um, But that aside, you know, Bold is great. We use their apps. Um, But it occurred to me they have so many app installs that they have this very high-level, like, 30,000-foot view of Shopify as an ecosystem. And I know there's lessons in that. So I wanted to bring Jay on um, to talk to us about that. Jay, you there? I am here, and it's awesome to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kurt. No, my pleasure. So tell me... uh, Tell me about yourself. Well, I am. Uh, I've I've actually been in e-commerce for the better part of my adult life. <laughs> I uh, um, before Bold, I, I mean, I I think the first item I ever sold online was in 1998, and uh, it was it, it was a it was a funny story. I I worked in retail for 15 years, and it was a family business, and I ordered a product. And my dad always said he would look at products sitting on shelves and he said, all I see is dollar bills sitting on shelves. And it's, you know, that's the, the problem with inventory. It takes up money. And, um, but it was, a, it was a valuable lesson. And one day I ordered something and he said, he said, well, oh, that's never going to sell. We need to get rid of that. And so I heard about eBay and I said, well, I'm going to try putting this product on eBay. And I put it on eBay and sure enough, it sold right away. And I said, huh. And it sold for more than we, we would have <laughs> sold it for in the store. And, um, I kept listing more and more items on eBay until eventually I, at one point I had like thousands of items on eBay. Um, and then I realized, well, you know what, on eBay, I'm, I'm selling a lot, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of renting their customers. I'm not really building a brand. And like the day I stop listing up the day I don't list a product is the day I stop making sales. Um, it's kind of borderline freelancing. Um, I can't step away from it. So, um, so I, I think in 2001, maybe 2000, I, um, built my first online store and it was at that time there was nothing like, like Shopify or like any of the platforms there are right now. Like I, I hand built it using Microsoft front page, um, hand built every product page. Um, and there was a phone number to place an order. So like literally people would find a product, there was no add to cart. They would phone into place orders and I was selling that way. Um, eventually I moved to <laughs> other just platforms. Felt like- 
It's not, I mean, none of, what's funny is that's like not an uncommon uh, origin story. Like I got my start with e-commerce on eBay just because they, at the time it was the hottest thing and it made it so easy. And like your other option, you're right, was, you know, build, like build something awful with a wissy wig, like front page. And then how are you supposed to sell it? Like PayPal buy now buttons didn't even exist then. No, I think like Yahoo stores was just getting started, but it was like very, very clunky to use. And, and I it mean, never if it never wasn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's right. It's still, well, now it's something else, but yeah. So yeah. So, I mean, I, I kept on uh, e-commerce for pff, until 2000, it was in 2010. I got an email from actually from MailChimp and they said, um, they said, Hey, good news. MailChimp is now available as a Shopify app. And I said, what is never heard of Shopify. And, um, I had, I had, um, sites on big commerce on every other one you could imagine. Um, so I said, Oh, I'll, I'll move a site onto shop. I had multiple sites and I moved one onto Shopify and I started really liking it. And I said, Oh, this is really cool. Like I liked, I liked the app store. I liked the theme editor. I liked that how you could change themes so easily. I liked just really everything about it. That was kind of um, how we fell in love with it too. was like, we were looking, I wanted to help out a friend and I'm like, what's going to be the easiest thing for him to use? And I'm like, well, totally. there's this new thing called Shopify. And it was probably in 2010 that we did that. And we tried it and like he loved it, but we loved it too. We're like, oh my God, every time we did one of these Shopify projects, we're like, oh, this is easy. And it really, they just, it wasn't that it was they easy, just looked it was good. good. <laughs> yeah, they did. And and I was like, oh man, I'm like, I hope my competition doesn't find out about Shopify because every other <laughs> store in my niches were were like very outdated and I spun up a store on Shopify in like a couple of days just by exporting my products, importing them in, picking a theme. I'm not sounding like I'm selling Shopify here, but it really was that easy. And then it just instantly looked better than all my competitors. And um, I, yeah, I ran that site. I mean, up until, up until like 2014, even while bold apps still existed, we still ran the stores. Um, at one point, I had so no the, idea. I mean, That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, so was like bold apps about scratching your own itch? It started that way. Okay. I so we started. I had an online store, and I wanted a product comparison app. The pro, the items I was selling were um, sporting good equipment. So okay. like you know you you pick like five different backpacks and you you look at them and you compare like the weight and the size and volume, whatever. Right. Um, I wanted to be able to do that. There was no app in Shopify that did that. And so I started talking to some developers and I'm actually not a developer myself, but so I started talking to people who might be able to help me with it. I kind of scrapped the idea until one day I was sitting in a pub with a friend who who is a a very good designer and uh, who's like my best friend. And I said, hey, I, I got this idea for this app. And he's like, hey, I know these two really good uh, developers. They're brothers. I'm like, why don't we, why don't we build it and uh, make a little beer money on the side? And um, so it's really kind of a funny story. We decided to not build that app because we thought it was too complicated. And we built an upsell app instead. Okay. And, yeah, I did think that. I was pretty sure that was the first one was that upsell app. Right. Which we didn't know at the time, but that was a revolutionary app um, for two reasons. One was... It was the first real app that was really front facing on a Shopify store. Like at that point, most of the apps were back end integration apps to connect like, with like MailChimp. Sh- exactly. Um, connect with QuickBooks, shipping APIs, just order management tools. It was all to make the store owner's life easier. We thought, how do we sell more? That was like that. We never once, I mean, we do now, but like in the beginning, we never thought, okay, what apps would make 
our lives easier. It was how do we make more money? Interesting. <laughs> so uh, we, we just said, well, how do we, um, you know, do an upsell like in a brick and mortar store? And so it was, you know, like I, it was funny, like uh, the guys at Shopify, we get along with all of them. They're like, like second family, but they joked at first. They're like, wow, this is a really good hack. <laughs> and it was a hack <laughs> because it wasn't like the way the API was originally intended to be used. And we did a, some things a little bit different and it like, started revolutionizing stores we were getting reviews where people were like i've um like i like my store wouldn't exist without this and like i've done like 40 percent conversions on all upsells and it was like people it was blowing people away and there was and we didn't realize it but we started looking around and at that time there was no other upsell app on any other platform like you know magento big commerce none of these like so we're like huh we actually kind of really thought of something really unique here just bringing an offline concept online and um Oh, yeah, I had no idea. And on top yeah, of that, so, it's almost like in many ways that <laughs> building that app made sh- probably had people che- migrate to Shopify. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of the common things we see in our reviews are people like, I moved to Shopify because of this app. This app is the reason I moved. And we love seeing those reviews. Like that's totally makes our day. Um, yeah, so that was uh, 2012. We launched that, and and here we are, 2016. We we kept running the stores until around t- end of 2014, and then at one point, like we always always kind of said, like you know, we're app developers, but we're store owners first. And um, it just got to a point where we just, you know, what we that angle no longer. I don't think it made a difference. Like we we've built up a, a big enough reputation with store owners. They're now installing our apps because we kind of we have like a trusted company and we have like very good support and we're maintenance on the apps. It's like I don't think the fact that we're a store owner anymore sells it to stores. So we, you know, I think initially like it adds, you know, it's an easy way to add authority to yourself where you're saying like, okay, I've got this successful store and I'm building these apps, testing them there first and also opening them up to you. But after a certain point. And like you, you know, only you as the business owner know what the tipping point is where you just have to like cut away that, that extra cruft and picture and just have a clear vision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and then today we have 20, I think 22 apps and we are next week. I like week. that you don't even know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's around there, 22. Well, we have like 22-ish public apps apps and we've got a, probably about 40 private apps and next week we are releasing product comparison <laughs> the first app we wanted to build the one you wanted to build 23 apps wanted, later you could build it exactly hey, <laughs> we so did for, it actually for people yeah. who don't know uh give me the the quick overview of what a private app is i think a lot of stoners don't even realize that this is a thing yeah for sure um it's i mean any store that wants a some custom functionality um, is you can build any app. So if you have a store, um, it doesn't have to be live in the app store. You can just build your own little app to do some cool little um, action that you need. So a lot of them are like, uh, we just did one the other week. It was a, um, it's kind of cool. There's a, there's a furniture company that they have like a hundred furniture locations and they needed an app that would sync inventory between them all. And that was it. And so it's a private app. It's not in the app store or anything, but you know, in that store, when you log in, you actually see it in the app panel with all your other apps, but it's an app exclusive just to your store. Cool. Cool. So how many app installs do you have overall or how many stores like customers would I say the rough number? Yeah, rough. We're we're approaching thirty five thousand. Oh, um, so we're getting we're right close there. Um, we have 
apps is apps is our is a is a big part of what we do. Um, and then we also have like a, a social media services. We do custom development. We do um, a lot of things. Um, my I, I think like my biggest contribution is is the apps portion. We have an amazing services team that, but I'm actually not that involved in that. Um, so yeah, so apps yeah, are kind of a, a huge staff now. How many people are over there? We this week. We're very close to 100. <laughs> We're going to have a big celebration here. That's crazy. Um, yeah, we... For reference, we, last year, how many were, did you have? Oh, geez. At this point last year, maybe 35. I was going to guess so 30. Like, yeah. Like, I think we've had about 60. We we are... We moved it. We just moved into a new building in February because we were at max capacity and, and we had two different buildings uh, and we had 65 employees and that was two months ago. And now we just crossed 90. I think we're 91 and we have about 13 job postings up. We have two starting next week, one starting the week after. And then I think with a couple of hires, we're right close to that hundred mark. So <laughs> it's a lot. It's a, could, um, I mean, congrats. Oh, thank you. It's I, like, it's honestly, it is mind blowing. I walk around here some days and I'm like, we were in my basement working beside, our laundry machine and <laughs> like 34 months ago and here we are hundred people. I sometimes see people in the hallway and I'm like, well, what's their name again? I got to remember. <laughs> Who's that guy? So yeah, that's kind of a weird, yeah, thing. that's yeah. cool though. Okay. So you've got, um, you have like, uh, really an interesting position in that you have a, like you're close to these, uh, all these Shopify stores. You've got this, this 30,000 foot view of e-commerce in general. What, uh, what have you learned from that? What are like surprising insights? I mean, that's a very open-ended question, but I mean, yeah, no, I don't totally. even know what to ask. Cause there's, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, there's like so much and like, and it, it does, it's funny. Like every day, um, when you're working on client stores, you see, you see things that work, you see things that don't work. And it like, sometimes, yes, we do. We bang our head against the wall and we're like, why is this guy doing this? <laughs> why is, why does he have like a thousand pop-ups or why is he, you know, um, but I would say like, I could probably talk hours on things we've learned. Um, if I had to kind of summarize like a few things, um, some things that really stand out that people may not know is it doesn't matter how many products you have on your site. Some of our most successful sites, the best performing ones have just a couple SKUs. Um, but what they do that most stores maybe don't know is they really figure out a mathematical formula of how to market it with whatever paid advertising, social media advertising, and then scale it. And what I see a lot of people do is they do this kind of like broad pattern. They've got a couple hundred SKUs on their store and they run Facebook, Facebook, AdWords, whatever paid advertising towards the whole store, kind of spread it out evenly amongst all their products and kind of just hope to promote their store in general, where the ones I see really succeed are ones that like have this like razor focus on one, they take one product and they go, okay, here's my profit. This, I sell this product for a hundred dollars and it costs me $40. So I've got $60 margin on it. So I'm going to take a thousand bucks and run some experimental advertising on different mediums, Facebook, Twitter, Adderall, whatever. Um, and I'm going to really, really track the ROI. And then the ones that work, I'm just going to scale the crap out of them. So if I get a good ROI on Facebook and, and, um, you know, the term is, um, oh shoot, what's the term? Um, cost conversion per oh, cost per oh. conversion. Yeah. Ah, shoot. We use a different one. 
that's escaping me at the moment. But anyways, the concept is, is, um, if you, if you pay a dollar, sorry, my audio just cut off there. Um, if you pay a dollar to get something to a product and you make a dollar 50, you, there's no, there's no budget. You could spend a million dollars and advertise it. Um, and so we see some stores really do this well and they really, um, fine tune their advertising, um, just with testing and then scale it like crazy for that one product and then duplicate that on other products. Um, and That's, if you can master that, like it doesn't matter what you're selling. Like you can sell so targeted on social media advertising that it's crazy. It's like if you sell toothbrushes for people that have dentures or, you know, you can actually target that or you can target yeah. people who are buying hats because they're maybe they're bald. So like they're interested in Rogaine and they're <laughs> also uh, a Sox fan. So I don't know, like there's just it's fighting that niche i think like i mean there there's at least three good points in there um and the first the one that like a lot of people especially new people struggle with is how do i find is how to gain that focus and really mm-hmm. like have that laser focus niche down and i could tell like the stores that are still experimenting or aren't successful is often the people who have like you know they've like a hundred products in six different wildly disparate categories Mm-hmm. And it makes it like when I see those stores, they it makes them you know the thing that they're like, well, I need marketing. Like, no, you don't. You need focus, because it makes it so hard to market when you've got like all this different stuff. Um, but you're right that like totally rings true with what I've seen. Some of our most successful stores um, will have either like one or two SKUs or at most ten. Yep, and they're always related. Yeah. And like you've probably seen or, you know, anyone listening has probably seen these ads on Facebook where it's like, I don't know why lately I started getting them for for a watch. And I'm and I'm betting and I started seeing this ad like every single day. And I guarantee it's someone found this watch for a couple bucks on Alibaba and they're selling it for sixty dollars and they're willing to spend, you know, fifty dollars to acquire a customer for that watch. And I'm seeing this ad everywhere. And I clicked on it the day and I was like, oh, actually, it actually looks like a decent watch. It's obviously some type of knockoff, but I guarantee they get a ton. Um, and they, they've just found that that watch converts with a certain demographic and they've just scaled the advertising. And next month it might be something else or it might be a long-term play if, if you're actually manufacturing a product. It's not, doesn't have to be something you're drop shipping or, you know, an Alibaba product. It could be your own product. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's such a easy formula, master it with one product and then just just scale it. Um, that's something we've learned. Um, you know, the other thing is, uh, I don't know how to like f- phrase it, but I would say just reducing friction. And you know, you could call it like your your user interface or experience or whatever. But I see everything as friction. Every time you every time you have a buying experience, there's some type of friction. Whether it's you're trying to find some details in the in the product description, you're trying to find the, um, and I'm not talking about like conversion optimization where it's like what button color converts the best. Um, I'm talking about like reducing friction for the person to buy. Um, That's actually, that's how we approach, um, conversion rate optimization actually. So like split testing is great, but most people really don't have the traffic to make split testing statistically significant. Right. Um, and most like, and most people come up with like, like let's test button colors and split testing is so much more good. Split testing is so much more nuanced and difficult. Um, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's actually how we do it. As 
generally I will walk through a store and I will write down just like every point of friction, every bump in the road and fixing mm-hmm. just that stuff um, can mm-hmm. be enough to double uh, like add to cart conversion rates. Totally. And and then because if you're spending five bucks a click, I mean, you could try and you could spend more money on your clicks or you can spend more time reducing friction, which is way more scalable um, and a way better bang for your buck. You know what I mean? Like people, it, yeah, it's, it's funny. People don't mind spending thousands of dollars a month on AdWords. But if you said, hey, why don't you spend a couple thousand bucks with a CRO and have them go through your store and figure out every point of friction that you could probably optimize, they might be like, well, I don't know if I want to invest in that. But meanwhile, they're spending 50 bucks a day on AdWords. That's how much per month, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's spending yeah. $1,500 a month on, on just AdWords alone. So um, it's the leaky bucket syndrome, right? Like you want to fix the fix the bucket before you fill the bucket. Um, we see a lot of stores just, um, just trying to put more water in the bucket and not fix the holes. Uh, that, I mean, I, there's, there's lots, those are a couple of things that come to mind. <laughs> I'm right. I love that quote. The, I'm writing it down. <laughs> the, the leaky bucket syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so easy to ignore a leaky bucket. And honestly, like even with our apps, like we, we approach our apps the same way a store would approach a store. It's like, we look, we, it's easy to just try to get more installs and more users, but if we're not fixing the reason people are uninstalling them, like we look at everything, like we can tell how many users uninstalled within the first 15 minutes for the first minute, the first hour, the first day, week, month, year, whatever. So there's different reasons. Like if they uninstall in the first 15 minutes, they probably found our, well, I actually think one of the main reasons people might uninstall an app is because they don't understand what the OAuth uh, permissions mean. Because with a Shopify app, you're not, you're not allowed to prompt a user and say, you know, like when you install an iPhone app and it asks you for to grant access to access your photos, you can you can pre um, you can give them a note that, ahead of time saying like, saying, okay, this is why it's about to ask you. You need to say yes. Here's why. Right. We can't do that with a Shopify app. So when you install a lot of our apps, it says mm, this app would like to access and read your orders and modify your customers. <laughs> yeah, it's a phrase like and, that. It sounds very scary. I, totally. And if I was a store owner, I would probably look at that and go, I don't know if I want this app to read my orders. I don't know who they are. Yeah. So I think that's um, definitely one of the reasons, those first early ones. But then we look at like the first hour. So if we lose someone in an hour, why is that? Is it, it's probably because our, maybe our instructions were unclear. Our onboarding process wasn't good. Um, You know, some of our apps, we have um, an installation charge just for the liquid because it, it can be very time consuming to install liquid for thousands of people. We just, even though we're close to hundred people, we don't have enough people to install the code for everyone. So we charge like 20 bucks or 15 bucks. It's not much, but it's enough that like, it's very little. It's yeah. It's a tiny, it's a nominal fee just to, to weed out the people who aren't serious to get rid of the tire kickers. And I tell like clients were like, Hey, can you install this app for me? I'm like, I can, but it's actually, I'm like, just have bold do it. It costs, it will cost less. Um, and honestly, like they've, they've done it so many times they'll get it right the first try. Right. And, and like we always say, we're, we're really, we're not getting rich off of that 15 bucks. Um, and if anyone ever uninstalls an app within the trial, we refund it. Like it's not, that's oh, not the point. Interesting. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, the only, the point of it is it's just to not get, have a thousand, each one can take half an hour to an hour depending on the app. So it's, it is time consuming. Yeah, so some yeah, of them so are, we, are complicated to install like product options. Uh, that one can be rough to install. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like we're working on improving a lot of it too by um, using different methods to, to, you know, to use JavaScript, to target different areas, try to remove some of the manual liquid installs. Like there's, there's different things. We're actually, we're actually um, doing a, uh, an overhaul of product options as we speak uh, to improve some of that. Um, but yeah, like, so, I mean, even so in an e-commerce store, I would look at every, every drop off point, right. And you, and you try to figure out why they drop off and it's, we do the exact same thing with our apps. And then if it's like, you know, the day before the trial ends, that's probably because they, they didn't want to pay the money for the past the trial. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, so um, yeah. So I mean, no, that's, it's similar to like looking at the, the, con, you know, Shopify gives you those three conversion rate numbers and it's, it's add to cart, reach, checkout, purchased. And we like, that's one of the first things I ask for, you know, when talking to a prospective client and trying to figure out like set a baseline and see where we can get the improvement and if we can. And what I'm looking for is like, do the, you know, is each number roughly half of the previous one? And if it's like way less then you know, okay, that's the drop off point. Like this is where there is some point of friction. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. You can't spend enough money tracking this stuff. Like you can't, it, it is the core of what you do. It is like, if you, if, if you can't track it and you can't analyze it, you're, you're throwing not just your money, but your time <laughs> into the wind and hoping for something. And you might get lucky, you know, like we, we, we didn't track a lot of this stuff for, I would say a good year and a half or two years. Like when we first started, we were just so busy building apps. We just, you know, they seemed to be getting installs, but we probably lost more customers than we kept. Hmm. Um, but that's, you know, fortunately enough, Shopify was growing at a alarming rate. And so we were growing too, but were we just growing at the rate Shopify was growing or were we, were we actually doing some things right to, to keep the customers? And, and now we do a lot to, to really track all that and analyze every point that we can improve in an app. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's been a huge, huge difference. You know, one of the most important things that people could do and they're like absolutely reticent to do is, talk to their customers. It is the strangest thing. And this occur like occurs across all industries. No one wants to talk to their customers. Like if you don't interview them, if you don't survey them, if you don't like just ask questions, everything you think you know about them is an assumption. Um, mm -hmm. And we've gotten some of our best insights just from doing customer surveys. Totally. There's, there's like customer surveys. We, we do that with every single one that installs an app. If you, <laughs> I apologize to anyone who installs our apps and gets our surveys. Um, we do read them. We let, we read every single one. Um, when you install it, when you uninstall it, um, and we read every single review that actually when, it, when someone leaves a review for one of our apps, it goes to every single person in the company. Uh, we just have a rule with, That's cool. um, <laughs> so like all hundred and ten, when someone, gets a shout out in a review like, Hey, um, you know, uh, Mike did this great job on this thing. Like it goes in a Slack channel and someone copies and pastes it. And then it gets about like 50 emojis underneath it, reactions <laughs> and everything gets excited. And, and when we get a bad one, we always talk about it too. And it's, I am huge on, on two things with talking to people. Like one is, uh, you know, there's a, there's a book called hug your haters and it's the, the whole concept is like, you don't learn from people that like you, you, you learn from customers that don't like you or leave you or hate you. And, um, they're the ones that will give you the best feedback and you may never get them back as a customer, but you'll get the best feedback for your app. But it's like so many people don't have the sh big enough shoulders to when you have a 
screaming customer on the internet or some guy who leaves like as an e-commerce store, it's someone who leaves bad reviews on, they might even write something on the BBB, the better business bureau site or like whatever, like, and you're like, Oh, there's no way I'm picking up a phone and talking to that guy. Cause you're just emotionally hurt. But yeah. And it's hard to separate it. But once you do, it, like it really, if you talk to those people, you know, it's usually very easy to resolve. I found most people just want, like they just want to be heard and feel that their problem 100%. gets acknowledged. And once yeah. you do that, you, like as soon as you just say, okay, I acknowledge this, like right. uh, it starts the conversation. It starts a conversation. They like to be heard. You'll find out information that can make yourself better. And you may get the best raving fan you've ever had because I always tell everyone on our support team that um, if you just go somewhere and have an expected experience, like you go to the movies you buy your ticket, you go in, you watch a movie, and you leave. You're not going to go home raving to all your friends about how great the service was. But like, if you go to the movie and they accidentally, I'm trying to think of an example, like they accidentally um, sold out, they didn't have enough seats, but one of the one of the clerks like took a seat from another theater, moved it in, or brought you right up at the front, or moved in a couch from the lobby and said, "Hey, you can sit in here." Or if like something something happened, like the the checkout person in the grocery store like spills all your groceries they did something wrong they broke it but they said you know what we're gonna oh, here's a perfect example um uh someone i know you're you're you probably don't know what tim hortons is hey it's kind of like the equivalent of starbucks in canada oh um, no, yeah <laughs> so no i'm familiar you're familiar with tim hortons? okay so we we had the coffee chain up here and um uh someone i was just talking to last week went through the drive through ordered their coffee and a meal didn't look at it put the bag on their seat drove home opened it up and it was the wrong sandwich and they were pissed. They tweeted, they said they went and they tweeted Tim Horton. They said, can you not get like a simple sandwich right? Or something like that. That was the tweet. And Tim Hortons got the tweet, found the local restaurant that was close by or first reached out to her, found the local Tim's that was close by and an employee drove the proper sandwich <laughs> to her house. And she now has told this story to hundreds of people. Here I am on a podcast talking about it. And I can't probably thousands of people have heard about this. And like, I always say I'm thankful for mistakes. Like when they happen, they're huge. You don't want to make mistakes on purpose, but like when they happen, they're a huge opportunity. Um, that if you just, if someone just installs one of our apps and everything goes smoothly and it, you know, they'll, they'll just be happy. That's the way it should go. But if something happens and we go out of our way, like it's a huge opportunity and as a store owner, it's like every time there's a opportunity you you could have a raving fan for the rest of your life it is a so, really good i know I, like i got the idea but that anecdote does illustrate um really does illustrate it very well yeah okay, so we're coming to the end of our time together um a couple <laughs> closing questions what's one piece of misinformation about shopify e-commerce in general that you'd like to correct um misinformation about misinformation. shopify yeah anything like there's some misconception that people have about shopify Shopify, or, or e-commerce, e-commerce, running a store, whatever it is. Um, well, if hmm, interesting. Well, I guess if I had to say one thing, it would be um, e-commerce is is not just internet marketing, easy work. It's like uh, there gone are the days where you can like, and I lived through them in the early two thousands, where you could put up a store and none of my competitors selling the same product were selling them and you could make a lot of money doing it. Like now it's, it's very hard work. Like you have to know how to market. You got to know how to 
um, build product, build customer relationships, build partnerships. It's it's like it's a lot of work. I have a lot of respect for people going into e-commerce. It's by no means a mature market, but it is it is becoming um, it is challenging. And so, um, but I also think we're on the verge of of new opportunities that like you know there's always these waves of things that happen. Um, so I, I won't get into that, but I do think there are some things coming that you know there are these kind of like little gold rushes every you know seven years because some new opportunity opens um oh, give me, oh, now you gotta give me one. Oh well there's i mean i, I could well, there's lots um uh obviously people are talking about like vr and things like that like will people be selling in that um something i'm really interested in is i i personally think search is dying and i think curation is becoming the way that we consume and look for products like spotify is a perfect example like you don't want to you don't want to look for a song and download it and make a playlist i just want to go i want to be have my music curated for me i want to have and people are doing this with goods like we have a subscription app and one of the most popular ways people use it is a, a box of the month and we see people do like you know outfit a clothing outfit of the month and it's like you go in and you put in hey i'm i'm a burly tough guy i like plaid i like this and every month you get clothes that is like meets your style that's um, interesting you're right i had never it uh, it totally flipped my thinking on its head it had absolutely not occurred to me that those good subscription boxes like many of them the real sell is hey you don't have to make a decision about this anymore we're just going to give you here like here's a box of the good stuff totally and i think it's going to happen to everything like we want to be curated to as as a society so you know like the searching the ranking high in search engines the like searching for a product the people the the tastemakers of the world are the ones that are gonna make a lot of money and they're gonna not just because they're tastemaking but because brands are gonna come to them and start wanting to pay them to be included like um who you know whatever the most popular um, playlist on Spotify, like you'd want your song to be included in that, like whatever indie mix that's the most listened to or something like that. So it's going to start happening and it's going to, so there's curation. And I guess you want to, if you want to call it like influencers, but it's, 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 it's going to be curation. Um, and I also think we're not going to, there's going to be a wave where the recommendation. So here's, how do I say this? So let's say you're Everything's going to be smart in our households or some form of level of smart in the next five to ten years. We're going to have the Internet of Things uh, apocalypse is going to happen. Correct. It's not just going to be my thermostat smart. It's everything. Right. And it's coming now. Like, you know, Amazon's got their smart button and Echo. And when I pour coffee, I can just say order another coffee, same as last time. It's at my door the next day. When I run out of laundry soap, I can tap the button on my dryer and there's new soap the next day. And there's things like that. But I think it's going to there's going to be a point where it goes one step further um, where let's say I. I, I honestly think I'll be I'll be I used this example the other day like I'm using my steak knife and somehow these steak knives have like an RFID in it and based on how I cut it or I hold it like it's not it doesn't fit right in my hand I have some way that I have like a daily digest of curated products that I might like based off my interactions the day before so my TV might detect that I squinted a lot and it might I you know recommending some some glasses or a bigger TV or a different steak knife because here's four steak knives that would fit your hand better based off of this or I put my second last 
diaper in my daughter's diaper pill and it recommends this and it says, oh, your, your diaper, your daughter's probably this age now. We might need this diaper. Um, and like the list really could go on about like things. So now, so now brands and companies are going to be paying the, um, diaper genie to be the diaper it recommends or the, um, the steak knife company to be the steak it recommends. Like there's going to be, and I don't know exactly how that's all going to play out. I, what I do know is there's going to be this kind of wave of opportunity where it's like this new, you know, like when Google AdWords first came out, there was like this big opportunity. Like you could go on there and you could, I remember paying less than five cents for words. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, yeah, it just keeps getting that average. It's so hard to get a, an inexpensive click on AdWords no. now. And I think that's I why a lot of people went to Facebook. I mean, though I didn't comment on your previous point, like that's absolutely fascinating. Um, you're right. Like 20 years ago, IBM was telling us, hey, your fridge is going to have, is going to like know based on RFID tags what's in it and reorder milk when it gets low. And like that was mm-hmm. mind blowing. And I think we're at a point where, okay, now we're going to start realizing that dream. And it's mm-hmm. totally different in that we're combining it almost um, with, with, with AI, with this like recommendation engine that really, you know, that's all Amazon has become is this giant mm-hmm. product recommendation engine. Um, yeah, no, that those are all fascinating ideas. Yeah. So who knows? I mean, like the, I, the, the features bright for e-commerce, it'll, it'll keep evolving right now. The hot topic is conversational commerce and that's obviously that is something messenger already. Bots. Yeah. Messenger bots, but you know what? It's, I think conversational commerce, I think everyone's trying to figure out what it is. People have been talking for about it for about a year. Um, you know, and it first kind of dawned on me, like when, when, cause like we use Slack in our office and you can, there's a lot of commands you can do in Slack, um, you know, to, um, it, when I read a, when I read a Slack and I, I want it to be, um, unread so I can read it later, I can forward slash remind me in one hour to reread the Slack or set a reminder tomorrow that. or, oh yeah, it's, I, <laughs> well, yeah, cause you know, you I've been doing is using Giphy. <laughs> yeah so so do uh, most people but but there is it is a very useful tool and you can do a lot of cool commands in it and you know like there's no reason why i can't be like my wife texts me to remember to pick up something or order something or pick up the photos like in that conversation i should be able to go forward slash okay let's say let's say amazon although i'm not a you know fan of that but like forward slash last order um whatever it brings up like a quick command list i can pick milk diapers and it does it within there because there's going to be apis into everything into our text messaging now there's apis into facebook messenger there's it's going to be in every place we communicate that we don't have to now open a website go in pull out our credit card it'll 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 all be within that conversation and like i see it happening with slack it's like all these commands and and functions and there's like so many things you can do within it None of that's related to e-commerce and Slack. That's all just related to productivity. But that te- but you're right. N- that technology, that concept, those APIs will extend to and permeate e-commerce inevitably. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. And and all these waves come, and the, every time something like this happens, it's just a another wave of opportunity for entrepreneurial um, e-commerce owners. <laughs> yeah, it is. You're right. It is an it is a brave new world. <laughs> well, <laughs> Not especially, to sound like, cheesy, but it is. It it really is. Like see, you know, and it is fun to try and to to try and guess at what's going to happen next and what's around the corner because you never know. Yeah. All right. I don't. Yeah. Last don't be question. afraid to experiment. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, last question. 
what's one thing you wish every Shopify store owner would do? Besides install one of our apps? Besides, uh, <laughs> step one, install one step of one, the 22 Step one, make sure apps. you have a bold app. Step two, step two, Matt is tough. Every store, I would wish, I would wish they, well, honestly, I would wish they would from day one actively collect emails. Um, oh, build their audience, build their list. Build their audience and build their list because, A, you don't know how valuable it will be until you need it and then it's too late. Um, C or B, which, sorry, <laughs> B, you, um, those emails are more valuable than just emailing. Like we've seen some people do very well doing um, targeted audiences. Like you can you can upload email lists to Twitter, Facebook, other things and, you and can target target them. those people. You can get audience insights on them so you could see like, okay, here's who's buying and you could do lookalike audiences, which is yeah, fun totally. To and then that day, a year later, when your store is taking off, and you, yeah, you'll have the email addresses of people that placed an order on your website. But but run run giveaways, run um, you know, giveaway free content. Like you know, you do a good job of it. You have you have your newsletters, you have your books, you have your whatever. Um, don't just focus on your product. Focus on your community and your audience. And I've I've and sold. Them value. To absolutely give them value. Yeah, no, it, well, A, number one, you always give more value than you get back. Like if you, if you are not, if you're asking for something and not giving something, you're, you're not it's in not it for the long game and you won't last. It won't work. No, I've seen people try to do that too many times. Um, you give like, uh, I think it's, I can't remember who it is. I think it's Gary Vaynerchuk. I think he says like, you know, always give 51% or more, never give less than the other person gives you and you'll always be successful. And it's true. It's so true. Um, but yeah, those emails, like I've sold a couple e-commerce stores and you also don't realize how valuable that email list is. So like if you sell a store and not everyone's, I'm, I was never a store flipper. I, I built stores because I wanted to sell and make money on the stores. It just happened that um, with Bold, we ended up selling the stores. And Yeah, the, I would say you never want to rule it out. Of course, of absolutely. I mean, every they say every business is for sale. At I mean, for the right price, you might not be actively looking to sell it. But if someone came and said, "I want to buy your e-commerce store for X amount," you you might consider it. Um, now, if you have a really good email list that is engaged, that drastically increases the value of your store because someone who knows how to use that, whether you're using it or not. If I'm looking at buying a store and they're like, "I have had ten thousand orders." But I have a hundred thousand emails of people that have entered draws on my site, subscribe to this, do that. I'm like, well, you just like tripled the value of your store, um, and it costs very little to do. And um, yeah, so like day one, I would recommend doing that. Doesn't matter if you're going to use them or not. Just you know, people are like, well, I don't really send email newsletters. Just doesn't matter. Just collect you, them. Yeah, you'll regret it yeah. later. I tell yeah. everybody, I'm like, if you're if you have an online business of any kind, you are also in the list building business, whether you like it or not. And same deal. Totally. Like I, I wish I had started sooner with. Yeah. Both with building my list and with um, having like a lead magnet, having a thing that's more valuable than the email address that I get in return. Yeah, it's, actually, it's tough to give people to give you an email address. It is. It's it's a currency now. Yes, absolutely. It, it is like, and that's why you have to give something of value for it because you're asking someone to pay with their email. I would rather give someone ten dollars than my email address. <laughs> like, if, if if you had like a, a white paper on something or a thing, I'd I'd rather give ten dollars. And yes, I know I can re, you know put the email in my junk inbox, but that's how I think about it. Like I'm, I I pull out a ten dollar bill faster to pay for something than I would 
enter my email address on something like, uh, do I want to give my email address for this? Like, yeah, it's, uh, it definitely is a currency. No, it makes sense. Okay. So, um, well, we do, we have a promo. So if people want to go, I was going to say, where could people go to learn more about you? Uh, but if you mm-hmm. go to ethercycle.com slash bold, it will send yep. you to uh, a listing of all the bold apps. Um, and I think we have an extended trial set up for that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, installed through there. We'd um, if anyone has like to contact me directly, um, I'm on Twitter, Jason N Myers. Um, I also monitor our Bold Commerce Twitter. I don't. Uh, we have a social media team that does that, but uh, you can you can tweet there. Um, yeah, happy to answer and help anyone with anything related to any of our products. Wonderful. Well, thank you. It's it's been an honor and a pleasure. Well, pleasure's all mine. <laughs> So to our listeners, however this audio made it into your ears, you can find out more about it at unofficialshopfypodcast.com. And if you'd like to be notified whenever a new episode goes live, you can sign up for my newsletter at kurtelster.com, and I'll shoot you an email whenever we post a new episode. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.